worth taking notes this morning. Smells like team spirit. Second Chronicles 9 verse 1 says, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon. Everyone say test. To test Solomon with hard questions. So she hears about this guy Solomon somewhere you know, down there in Ethiopia. She's the queen of Ethiopia. And this report comes about this, this, this king and about this kingdom about this city, Jerusalem, and about this, this son, this son of David, this, this, this shepherd boy, giant slayer, Goliath destroyer, who's now was seated on the throne to establish peace in Israel. And his son, Solomon, is reigning in his place, and, and he's seated on the throne, and there's, there's no one with wisdom like Solomon. And so she kind of hears this, and maybe gets a little bit indignant, oh, you know, wisdom. Well, I'll test to see if he's got wisdom. I'm going to go right up there. I'll, I'll, I'll ask him this question. I, I haven't found an answer to this question or this question. And so she's got a list of questions. So she's, she's, she's coming up to test him. How many people know that the church really needs to be the dispenser of wisdom to the world? Come on, somebody. How many people know that the world outside of the doors, outside of the four walls of our church, are grappling with questions, with the complexities of life, with the complexities of relationships, with the complexities and the intricacies of finance and how to, how to navigate your way financially through a world of chaos and instability and uncertainty with markets and Dow Jones and instability and corruption and governments and all kinds of things going on. Is my mic dropping in and out or is it just me? Just that. And so, so, so people are looking for answers. People are looking for answers in a, in a world that is adrift on a sea of instability when it comes to relationships and, and how to hold down a relationship. And so how many people know that the church actually needs to, to rise so that we're actually saying, hey, guys, we've got some answers? Because up until now, what, we've, what we haven't had is answers, but what we have had is judgments. All that we've been able to do is, is tell the world what we're against. We're against this, and we're against this, and we're against this. And, and so, so the, the world has defined the church by what we're against. But I say it's time for a new day where the world begins to see what we're for. And we're for fantastic relationships. We're for people having great marriages. We are for you having a fantastic life. We are for you having great financial excellence and financial success and wealth. And, if, and you know, we all make mistakes. And, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll invest in something and it goes down. You'll lose some money. But, hey, you know, you never really lose because if, if you lose some money, you know, don't, don't just let it be a loss. Let it become education. Let it be a learning opportunity. Every dollar that I've lost, I've determined I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to, I'm going to be, uh, you know, check, check the, the, the blueprint or the little small print or the, the writing or whatever. Check who I'm investing. I'm going to be wiser. I'm going to be a little more discerning. I'm going to be a little bit sharper. I'm going to think and I'm going to put on some wisdom. And so the world is looking for answers. And tragically, the church has given them judgments as, uh, uh, instead of answers. But it's time that we step up with some wisdom. Can somebody say amen? So anyway, so she comes testing him with hard questions, having with her a great retinue of camels that bore spices, gold in abundance, precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. Now, how many people know that all the stuff that she brought, she didn't need? Come on, somebody. How many people know that 
the, the, the great retinue of camels that bore spices, gold in abundance, and precious stones. How many of you know that she didn't need all of that stuff? She had it all, but she didn't need it all. She had it all because that's what her identity was tied up to. The world that you and I live in tries to tell you that your value, your worth is directly correlated, directly related to the stuff that you have. She wants Solomon to realize she's, she, oh, she's, not, a, she's not an ordinary person. Oh, no, no, no. She's someone of stature. She wants Solomon to respect her so, so she doesn't just kind of arrive and, and she's the queen and she makes an appointment to see Solomon. No, no, no. When she arrives, she's got a, a caravan of camels. And people are coming up, my God, who is this woman? And they see these camel after camel after camel. And the camels have got, you know, way down with, with, with spices and, and with gold in abundance and, and clothing and apparel and purple linen and all this stuff, all this wealth, all these riches are all on there because she's coming in there because she's trying to say, hey, this is who I am. I'm somebody of worth. I'm somebody of value. My value is in the stuff that I own. Can I tell you, one of the great tragedies, in the world today, especially in the Western world today, is there's been a shift that your value is based on the possessions that you have. He who dies with the most toys wins was a famous bumper sticker in the, in the late 90s. Can I just tell you something? God actually wants to put your value in something far higher than just the possessions that you have, just the things that you own, just the material, uh, you know, harvest that you, you've been able to, to draw to yourself. God actually wants your, your, your self-worth and your self-esteem to be rooted in something greater. So she comes feigning self-sufficiency. She comes like, you know, pretending she's got it all together. Look at all my stuff. It's amazing how many people hide behind their stuff to say, listen, I've got all my stuff, therefore I'm all together. Look at my stuff. Oh, oh, yeah, people that don't have their stuff together, do they have this much gold? Well, I've got this much gold because I'm self-sufficient. I've got my, but she actually comes with questions in her heart because look what it says. So she spoke with Solomon about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. Can I just tell you that you can have stuff but still have issues inside your heart. You can have stuff but still be wondering and still have questions about life and still be empty and vulnerable and, and on the inside broken down. Even though the external, you've got it all polished up, on the inside you can be bankrupt and you can be poor relationally, emotionally, spiritually. And, uh, and so God wants to deal with that. And so verse 3 says, And the queen of Sheba, when she had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes and indeed, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are these your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who is delighted in you, setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great abundance, precious stones. There never were any spices such as those that the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. Isn't that an incredible scripture? 
So she comes bringing stuff because her, her, her confidence, her image, her self-esteem was based in the stuff. But then she finds God. She finds the God of Solomon, and now she realizes, I'm not putting my faith and my self-worth in the stuff. I'm putting my faith and self-worth in God. This stuff needs to glorify this God. This stuff needs to exalt this God. People need to hear about this God, and I want to make an investment into this God. Can I just tell you, it smells like team spirit here. See, the Bible says that when she saw the wisdom of Solomon, she didn't just hear the wisdom of Solomon. She heard the wisdom of Solomon, but she saw it. If I said to you, my God, you're not going to believe what happened. Just outside the doors there, there there was a a massive meteorite came, and it smashed the school building next door, and there were aliens crawling out of the debris. Oh, my God, it's crazy. But there'd be something on the inside of you that says, I've got to run out and take a look for myself, because you don't completely believe till you see. I says, you don't completely believe till you see. I can tell you, like, oh, man. That's, uh, but when you write and you see it for yourself, like, now I see it. Now it's part of you. She heard of the wisdom of Solomon. She comes to test him with hard questions. He answers all her questions. She hears it. But then as she looks around the room, her eyes are open and she sees. What does she see? She sees a vision that is manifest. What she sees is this. The Bible says here that when she saw the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, the way that they were dressed, his cupbearers and their apparel, and the entryway by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. You know what she saw? She saw his vision personified in the lives of his servants. See, most kingdoms had slaves do this kind of work. Slaves did this, and slaves did it with a a whip on their back. Slaves did the labor. Slaves did the toil. You had slaves to serve the king. You had slaves to serve the queen. You had slaves to serve the royals, the nobles. It was slaves that did all this work, but not not in this kingdom. She is blown away because here she sees people in this kingdom with the same vision as Solomon to make Israel great, to lift up the name of the Lord, to make the Lord famous in all the earth. And when she looks at the servants, she sees that these are servants. These aren't aren't just people that couldn't get, you know, employment out in the world. These are people that, you know, didn't lose their corporate jobs and so they had nothing else to do. So maybe the Lord's calling me into the ministry because I can't make it in the real world. So maybe I'll go into the pretend world of ministry and kind of get a job there. You know, and this is is not going on. These are excellent people. These are intelligent people. These are some of the most brilliant people. And she sees them and they're there with a smile on. They are dressed. Well, they are, they are dressed as good as anybody going to a corporate meeting down in, in, in Wall Street or in Manhattan. They, these people are dressed and they are dressed well. They are groomed well because they, they understand they have a vision 
of making the Lord famous in all the earth. They have a vision, and it's the vision that God put in his son David that was passed down to Solomon, that now these servants have caught it. There's something about this team spirit that's there. When she saw that these guys have a team spirit, that they are excellent in their duties, they are excellent in their care, they are excellent, even the food on the table. It was the little things that she noticed. She's the queen of Sheba, but she notices the food on the table. She notices the clothing of the cupbearers. Can I just tell you, for too long, the church has thought, well, it's only church. You know, you get the phone call from someone saying, hey, listen, we, we, we've got an old, you know, Macintosh computer. It kind of broke down. We're going to throw it out. We thought, hey, maybe the church could use it. We've got an old car and, you know, it, it hasn't run for a couple of years and, you know, the engine kind of blew up and we were just going to take it and just kind of take it down to the, you know, the, the junkyard there and leave it there. And we thought, hang on a minute, maybe the church could use it. Can I just tell you, don't give God the broken down stuff. Give the devil the stuff that's broke. Give God the best. Let's bring God the very, very best. Too often we, we just think, well, it's just the house of the Lord. It's not just the house of the Lord. It is the house of the Lord. Well, you know, they should just be happy that I'm serving on a team. Yeah, I didn't get dressed up. Well, you know, I just kind of rolled out of bed. and They should just be grateful that I'm serving anyway. No, 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 the wrong attitude. Give the devil that kind of attitude. Go and serve the devil with that attitude. In the house of God, let's have a team spirit where we are exalting the Most High God, the great God of Israel. And we are coming with, 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 with this in our hearts, and we are coming with excellence in our spirit. And we are coming because, you know, uh, we want to lift up the name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? You know, uh, in, uh, in, I remember watching the Olympic Games, and, uh, and I've got a little video. Is that video ready to go, guys? Just, just, just watch this video. I'm not sure if you remember that from the, uh, the Olympic Games, but one of, one of the rowers, Australia was in medal contention, and uh, about maybe two or 300 yards out, one of the rowers decided just to quit. And so she lay down, but she didn't just lay down and she didn't just quit rowing. She lay down on the rower behind her so that that rower couldn't row. And so they had eight rowers in a boat, plus the ninth person is the, uh, the, the, the person that steers and navigates. And, uh, and so Australia only had six, so they went from uh, one of the medals, either they were going for silver or, or bronze, and then all of a sudden they, they dropped out and, and lost out of medal contention. And the great tragedy was this, this was kind of a, become a bit of a maelstrom in Australia because they interviewed the girl, and she's like, well, you know what, I just, 
you know, it's happened to me before. And so, you know, I just, I just was in pain and so I stopped. I just quit. It's not that important anyway. And then you had halfwits, uh, sorry, you had some people in Australia, in the media saying, you know, oh, you know, Australia's obsessed with winning. It's the Olympic Games, people. It's the Olympic flipping games. If it's all about, well, it's not about winning. It's just about how you, it's about enjoying the game. Well, go and play in a social little recreation. This is the Olympic Games for crying out loud. Well, where's that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. The Bible says, you know, uh, in a race, only one wins the prize. Run in such a way that you win the prize. I'm fed up with people thinking, you know, oh, you know, I'm a Christian. Oh, you shouldn't be competitive. Let's give everybody a trophy. No, let's give the winners a trophy. We're little kids with fragile self-esteem because I didn't get my trophy for turning up. Exactly. She quit. She deserved all the heat that she got and all the people came to her defense. She deserved it. She quit. Team rode harder. The team tried everything, but, you know, six, it's Olympic Games. Six aren't going to, you know, and that's one of the, the, one of the great tragedy, tragedies. And the reason I showed that is because, you know, quite often people have like a, a quitting thing and they're still in the boat, but it's their attitude. It's their negativity. It's, it's their inability to respond. It's their, well, I'm not, why, why should I get dressed up? I, I don't believe that the Lord is what The Lord is worth your very, very best. The Lord is worth your very, very best. You know, we've got uh, the, one of the oldest Bugs Bunny episodes, I think, ever made in our, in our car. And Zoe loves it. And there's this scene in there, Freddie, we got to get you up and dressed, up and dressed, Freddie. You got to wear your Sunday best, Sunday best, Freddie. I'm thinking Sunday best, where do, they, where do they get that from? Well, Sunday is traditionally day to go to church, and you put on your Sunday best. I honestly believe that we need to be putting on our Sunday best. I believe that we need to, and I'm not, I'm not talking about coming into church in a suit and, and, and a tie. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about far more than, than clothing, because how many people know that you can put on a suit and tie on a, on a stinking corpse? On a decomposing, even a decomposing corpse can be buried in Armani suit. And too often, we, it's not about the, it's, it's about the attitude. We need to come to church with a Sunday best attitude. We need to come to church with Sunday best in mind. Because when we come to the house of God, when we are serving in the house of God, it needs to smell like team spirit. We are one team with one dream, with one vision, with one purpose to exalt Jesus Christ, to make him famous in all the city of San Diego. The church is the great rescue machine of the kingdom of God. There is nothing else. This is the ark, baby. This is the thing that God is trying to get everybody into to save their souls from hell. Can somebody say amen? So I love this story because she sees vision. She sees an attitude. She sees passionate devotion. She sees excellence. She sees honor in all of these people. In John 17, Jesus says, Father, I pray for my disciples. I pray that you make them one as we are one. In other words, he's talking about a team spirit here. He's saying, "Oh, I, Father, I pray that they all have the same vision. 
He says, do not take them out of the world. I'm not of the world, just as they are not of the world. I am leaving this world, but they are still in the world. Do not take them out of this world, Father God, but rather keep them from the evil one in this world. He says to his disciples, behold, I send you out as sheep amongst wolves. He's telling the disciples, guys, you're going to have to work together. In John 15, he says, my commandment. He says, I know my father gave you 10 commandments. I'm going to throw in my commandment. My commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. He made it a commandment. Because there are times you realize it's a commandment, not a convenience to love one another. There are days you want to give people the five-fold ministry. There are days where people are going to take you off on that team. I can't believe it. Don't they know what I'm... And the Bible says it's a command that you love one another. Jesus had to make a commandment because we wouldn't do it naturally by feelings and emotions. Well, you know, I just live by my emotions and my feelings. Feelings, nothing more than... And, and I don't, no, no, no. How many people know that Jesus calls us to live a higher life than just on our emotions and on our feelings? Jesus wants us to have a team spirit. And that team spirit is where we look beyond our weaknesses, where we look beyond discrepancies, where we look beyond dysfunction, where we look beyond, you know, uh, disappointments, where we look beyond offenses, where we look beyond letdowns. We look beyond those things and we choose to keep loving that person and we deal with those things in an in appropriate manner. When she saw the team, when she saw the servants, when she saw saw their apparel, when she saw the excellent, when she saw the detail, when she saw that there was service with a smile, when she saw at the front door people shaking hands, welcoming into the house of God. I mean, she saw that these people actually were welcoming, welcoming her into the house of God like it was the greatest thing on earth. Like these people actually believe that this place that I'm walking into is the greatest place on earth. Can I tell you something? You can actually take some pride about this place. Six days a week, this place is a basketball court. It is a basketball court with people shooting hoops in here, but we have a team that comes in on a Saturday night, and then again really early on a Sunday morning, 5 a.m., these people rise, and they transform this place so that it doesn't look like a basketball court. It looks like the house of God. It looks like a place where people can encounter Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, you can actually, you can actually stand on the door and smile. You can actually say, hey, come along to my church. People, are, people need to be impressed, but they're not going to be impressed if we have a negative, lousy attitude. Can somebody say amen? When she saw the seating of the servants, when she saw that the servants had places, that they sat, and the way that they sat, they sat leaning forward, they sat taking notes. She says, these people are blessed because they get to hear your wisdom. These are people that love the wisdom of the house of God. They come to church early. They bring their Bibles. Their Bibles are open. Their notebooks are open. They're taking wisdom. When Solomon's speaking, they're saying, amen, Solomon. Good preaching, Solomon. Come on, Solomon. Bring the rain, Solomon. They're, they're, they're excited about the Word of God. She's looking at all this, freaking out. I believe that the church uh, needs to be a place of passion. It needs to be a place of enthusiasm. I don't believe that the Chargers game should be more exciting than church on a Sunday. I believe the world is looking for a church that actually believes its message. It's like the, the, uh, the priest is called in to give a dying, a condemned man who's going to be executed. His last rites, and the priest shares the last rites, shares the gospel. If you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus hung on a cross. 
to take away the sins of the world. So you don't go to hell, you go to heaven. And he's trying to stress to this condemned man how important it is that he receive Christ so he doesn't spend eternity in hell. He spends eternity in heaven. And, and the condemned man, the, the, the priest is alone in the cell with the condemned man. The condemned man is in shackles and chains, but he lunges at the priest and he grabs the priest and he pulls the priest down to the ground and leans over him on the ground. The priest is freaking out, fearing for his life. This is, this is a guy who's got nothing to lose. He's going to be executed within hours. And he, and he shakes the priest and says, Priest, do you really believe that what you're saying is true? Do you really mean to tell me that you believe this story? And the priest, Fivel, says, Yes, absolutely, I, I believe it. And the condemned man pushes him and lets him go and says, Priest, if I believed your gospel was true, I'd crawl across England on broken glass to tell men about it. What's wrong with you? I believe the world is looking for a church that believes its message, that believes that our God is awesome, that believes that our God is excellent. And it's got to be reflected in our attitude. It's got to be reflected. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to save sinners? Do you believe that there is no other way into heaven but by Jesus? Do you honestly believe that when Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me, I am the way, the truth, the life? Do you actually believe it? Do you believe that Jesus said, I will build my church and the, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Do you actually believe it? Do you actually believe that the church is the vehicle that God uses for salvation, for restoration, for reconciliation, for redemption? Do you actually believe it? Come on, if we believe it, we've got to start. The reason the world's not flocking into the church is because half of us have got unmade up minds. We're not convinced of our own message. How are we going to convince them when we're not convinced ourselves? We've got to get some team spirit in here, baby. Can I just tell you there are, there are four things that we need to have. Is that for my face? Thank you. My wifey always looks after me so well. Thank you, my love. So, so four, four quick things. Number one, you need to be in Christ. This, I, got, I stole this from Pastor Simon McIntyre who just shared this just off the cuff this week, and I thought, my God, he says, you know, this is what I want for my church. Four things. Number one, to be in Christ. In Christ. You can go to church but not be in Christ. It's important that you are in Christ, that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't let, don't let just church be all your worship. Don't let church be all your praise. Don't let church be all your word. You be in Christ. You actually walk out of here with a relationship with the Son of God, the Savior, Jesus Christ, where you walk hand in hand with Him. He wants to speak to you about your job. He wants to speak to you about your marriage, about your family, about your children, about your finances, about your relationship. We want you to be in Christ. Then we want you to, number two, be in church. It's important for you to be in church. Don't see church as an optional extra. Don't see church as, well, you know, if there's nothing else on, then I'll turn up. No, no, no. We want you to be in church. Now, can I just tell you the two are linked? You can't separate the two. Oh, yes, you can, brother. Being in Christ is one thing. Being in church is another. Well, yeah, not, 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 not so much. Not really. If you ever look at Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says that Saul is breathing threats against the church. Still breathing threats against the church. And murder against the disciples of the, the Lord. 
And he went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, verse 3, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul wasn't attacking Jesus. He was attacking the church. He was persecuting the church. He was attacking the church, and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because if you touch my church, you're touching me. The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church. Can I just tell you, he's not a zombie. His head is connected to his body. Oh, I don't, I don't believe you got, you know, like a church and Jesus said, well, read your Bible. He is the head of the church. He is not a zombie. He is connected. His head is connected to his body. If you touch my arm and not my head, it's, oh, well, it's not my arm. Of course it's my arm. It's my body. So you need to be in church. church Jesus loves the church. Well, well, churches hurt people. No, they don't. People get hurt in church. The church hurts people. No, it doesn't. People been hurt in church. The church hurts people. No, it doesn't. It's impossible for the church to hurt people. Church is not designed to hurt people. Church cannot hurt people. Church is designed to save people. It's the overseers of the church that hurt people. The Bible says in the New Testament that Paul appointed overseers in the church. The church is perfect. The concept of church, when God said, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, the church is perfect. What makes it imperfect is us overseers that the Lord has placed over it. I have to walk in the fear of God because I can get on a power trip or higher mighty and begin to, 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 to make stupid decisions, make exclusive decisions, make all kinds of decisions that ostracize and minimize and put down others and show favoritism. I can walk in the church in leadership that I've been appointed in the church in the flesh. I can and walk in a wrong spirit, and that damages people. And people take it out on the church. The church does not hurt people. It's quite often the leadership or the oversight of the church that hurts people. Stop taking it out on the church. For goodness sake, get a backbone and understand the church is God's vehicle for salvation. Men and women are fallible. Men and women may let you down. The church is the place of salvation. It's the house of God. It's the gateway to heaven. Commit yourself to the church understand people will let you down understand people betray you my God Jesus was betrayed but still went to the cross to save you and I we need to just man up a little bit and just say you know what we're going to have some hurt we're going to have some setback there's going to be some difficulty I guarantee it wasn't easy for Noah you know trying to keep the tigers away from the flipping oxen and cows in the ark I'm wanting to and all, but, but he still did it it may not have been perfect, but it was the only boat that was floating. Church may not be perfect, but it's the only boat that floats, baby. We want you to be in Christ, in church. We want you to be in love. In love. Not just, not just, not just having, not, don't just content. Don't just be content to just kind of have a relationship, to have a marriage. We want you to be in love. In love. You should be in love. 
in love with God, the sizzle in your life, in love with your, your spouse, in love with your children, just in love. That's what God wants. He wants you to walk in love. And then number four, in excellence. In excellence. Excellence in every area, relationally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. You know, I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrews who refused to bow. The king says, I want you to bow. Why is it that you don't bow? And they said, because we don't worship your gods, nor will we bow down to the gold image which you have set up. So he heats the furnace seven times harder, and he commands that these men be thrown into the furnace. They throw these guys in, and the king sits down, and he looks over in the furnace, and he sees movement in the furnace. The Bible says he stands up and looks, and then he goes near the entrance, and he looks, and he can see not just the three men, but he sees four men. And he calls his satraps over and his administrator says, didn't we throw three men in the fire? They said, true, O king, three men. He says, and why do I see four men in the fire? Free, walking around in the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Then the Bible says, and the king went near the entrance of the furnace and shouted out, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out. If I was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I would have said, no, come in, it's fine. Bring s'mores. But they didn't. They came out. And the Bible says when all of Babylon, all the satraps, all the administrators, all the high officials of the government and the king himself saw these men over whose body the fire, verse 27, Daniel 3, over whose body the fire had no power. Not a hair on their head was singed, and the smell of fire was not on them. Everyone say, smell of fire was not on them. Something smelt like team spirit that day. These guys came out, and the king bowed before them and says, great is the God of the Hebrews. He is, no other God can deliver like this. And he makes a new law that everybody worships the God of Israel if they don't, their houses will be torn down and made an ash heap for no other God to live in one, in one moment. An entire, see, the fire had no power over them in the furnace because the fire had no power over them outside of the furnace. When the king threatened them, if you don't bow, I'll heat that fire seven times harder. They said, King, we don't even need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, O king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we don't worship your gods, nor will we bow to the image that you have set up. These are men that said that fire has no power over our lives. So when they threw them into the fire, it had no power over their lives in the fire. The reason they stood is because there were three of them. The reason they stood is because there were three of them that stood. One of them, if he was the only one, probably thought, man, I'm the only one. Not, oh, that fire, oh, God, I can feel you're heating it. Oh, I can feel it. Okay, well, but there were three of them. We need team. You need team. You need to be part of a team. You need to be connected to a team. Team's good for you. It'll keep you accountable. It'll keep you from bowing to the wrong things. It'll keep you from bowing to stuff that's only going to compromise your soul and destroy your life and fill your life with regrets and guilt and shame and condemnation. 
these guys were part of a team. They had a team spirit. They walked out, there wasn't a smell of fire, but there was a smell of team spirit on these guys. Can I tell you, when you join a team, you join, you join a team of people who are cheering for you, who are standing with you. And there are times where the devil is going to make a beeline for you and try and get you to bow. But you're going to have a brother on your right and a brother on your left saying, don't do it, man. Don't do it, man. Come on, come on. Come on. This is not a time for bowing. Come on. We don't bow to this stuff. Come on. Don't listen to the devil. Don't listen to his lies. Don't listen to compromise. Come on. Don't listen to that. Yeah, yeah. Come on. You'll get your home back. Come on. Yeah, she, she's, she's coming back. God, God's a restorer. God, God's a reconciler. God, God's got his hand on your life. God's, you know, any, anything the devil's taken, God's going to restore sevenfold. Don't, don't even, we need people on our right and left that keep us from bowing, that keep us from compromising, that keep us from being dismissed from the kingdom. Can somebody say amen? Come on, if you believe that this morning, give God a great shout. <laughs>